You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Before podcasts existed, really before the internet existed, a million years ago, I used to do a radio show a sex advice call-in radio show on Sunday nights from, I think, 9 to midnight or 10 to 1 o'clock in the morning. I actually don't remember. That's how long ago it was. Uh, did that for a few years and got away with shit that if we had been in Chicago or New York or more of a major media market, we probably wouldn't have gotten away with, including, you know, fist fuckings on the air and strangers coming in to have sex and people coming in to show us their dicks and bring us pies. Um, and it was a really good time, uh, the Savage Love Live radio show back in the early 90s here in Seattle on KCMU, now KEXP. Uh, and I had you know, I had partners. I had co-conspirators. I had accomplices on that show. Um, one, uh, I want to give a shout-out to Danny Clark, who was our straight guy, literally the straight guy and the straight guy, uh, would read the ads and would also be available to be pulled into conversations that touched on heterosexuality, which we touch on frequently, but now we don't have a resident straight guy. Uh, and Danny is going in for surgery today. So those of you podcast listeners who remember uh, Danny Clark, those of you podcast listeners who were listening to Savage Love Live back in the day, Danny Clark is going in for surgery, uh, major surgery, and we wish him well and we'll be pulling for him, as I'm sure all of you are. Uh, also, my accomplice on that show was a woman named Mary Martone, the big tipper. Uh, she's a lesbian. Um, don't laugh. You're a lesbian. And she wrote a sex advice column of her own called The Big Tipper. And Mary became the co-host after, I think, a year, and we would take the questions together. And it was really fun, and I really always enjoyed having Mary on the show and being there with Mary and taking questions from confused 15-year-old straight kids with Mary and just fagging and diking them to death. And it was such a blast. Um, and I would have Mary on the podcast a lot if Mary still lived here in Seattle, but Mary moved to the fucking East coast somewhere for some reason, some time ago. And she's rarely in Seattle, but when she is in Seattle, we have her in to the studio to recreate the magic and the dynamism and the fagging on diking of the old Savage Love Live broadcast on KCMU. And Mary is with us here today. I am so excited to be here. It's good to have you back. This is the second time we've been able to have you on the podcast. I know. I'm excited. I'm very, very happy to be here. Come to town more often. Well, I've been having conversations with people over the last couple of days. They keep saying, come home. I'm like, I will. You know, when the... When the time is right. When the time is right, I will be back. Because I have you on a lot. I love it here. I would be here in two shakes of a... Rat's ass. So what do you remember about the Savage Love Live shows back in the day? Oh, I remember it deeply fondly. And I have to say that it gave me personally a lot of experiences I wouldn't have had. Like I got to um, like spank a straight guy, right? That was exciting. And I got to make people ride naked on a moped and bring us pie. Actually, more than once, I believe that that happened. So I like the fact that we could pretty much say, someone must bring us a pie. And we, would actually, we would actually get multiple phone calls from people offering it. I believe somebody would actually, one person once took a ferry over to bring us a baked good. And so that was lovely. Oh, and we did a... Um, so if you're listening, Lovecast fans... That's right. A lot of you write me and say you're rabid fans, listeners of the Lovecast... There's rabbit, and then there's bring you pie in the middle of the night naked on a moped rabbit. I'm not seeing anybody in here right now with a snack of any sort. So I'm just <laughs> saying that, you know, 
it's all well and good with you calling in to get your needs met. What about our needs? What about our needs? For pie. For pie or for anything else. Now, there was, there was something that happened on uh, Savage of Live once that I've described to people and I think I'm making it up. But you were there. You were an eyewitness. Would this be – can I spin – would this be the female ejaculation? Yes. I was just going to say the female ejaculation demonstration. And here's the beautiful part of radio or a podcast. <laughs> sort of like when we say that, you know, you would all huddle together and listen to the, the old timey radio shows and the pictures would unfold in your head. I can only imagine that the, the magical educational qualities of this would all just pour into your minds in, in bold, vivid details. The fact that we've been doing these things. So this is 20 years ago and female Correct. ejaculation no, no, no. was just becoming something people were right. aware of and talking can about. Can we just say, this is 17 years ago. Okay, because otherwise we ago. sound super old. Oh, oh yeah, this was seven weeks we were, ago. We were like, what, what would you say, like 12, 12 when we were doing 13. this? So we were very young. We were giving advice to young. 14 and 15 year olds who did realize that we were actually younger than them and in their high school. It's true. And now that we actually have children, Teenagers. now that we have children those ages, it's, it's all very distressing. Okay, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so I just want, I want you to, very, I want you, I want oh, no. you on the record here. Wait, let me, let me describe this right. situation. So female ejaculation is just becoming a thing. Uh, and there are workshops. It's always been a thing. Well, it's always been a thing. Awareness of it. Correct. And there are workshops where women are going in Seattle because, you know, it was before yoga, hot yoga happened. Women are going to these workshops to learn how to stimulate their G-spots and to achieve female ejaculation. And so we had them in because I was skeptical, as I often am of new shit. Cause I'm or especially new shit that has to do with, say, women's bodies. For example, like, like female ejaculation. I'm fine with new hats. I'm fine with new colors for the season. Right. But if it's if it's like Things some sort of out of some sort of cooter behavior that's not, that's not right up there. Okay, so. so they come in, they set up in our studio, which not is not very big, and they're on a table, and one is fisting the other, and she achieves female ejaculation, and the ejaculate flies across the room, arcing through the air, and lands in your Birkenstock. It is so true. It was like the most lesbian experience it was in like the world. Lesbian homing ejaculate. It was. It knew where it needed to go. It was. So it was both educational and there was also some sort of like metaphorical beauty in that moment. So do you still have those Birkenstocks? I don't, but I believe I saw Terry wearing them last night. <laughs> Hopefully not the same pair. I think it was the same pair. My husband now wears Birkenstocks. It's true. It's weird how things go in sort of circles and things you don't expect sort of. I was just telling him he has lesbian feet. Uh, you know, 20 years ago when I first met Terry, if you had told him one day he would be wearing Birkenstocks, he would have fought you to the death. Laughed Challenged you to a duel at dawn with guns. And now he's stomping around town at Birkenstocks because it's just the thing. He's embracing it. But his Birkenstocks are not those Birkenstocks. Those no. were boiled or something immediately after the show, weren't they? He's, I believe so. It's true. Did you ever wear those again? We should actually, I believe I had them bronzed and made it to bookends. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> so it happened. I'm not imagining oh, no. that. This is, this is not an apocryphal tale. This is actual fact. It did happen. There were a lot of things like that that actually happened. Well, here you are in Seattle. Hi. We have a ton of calls. I know. I'm looking forward and to it. And would you like to take calls with me like the old times? Oh, I certainly would love to. Hey, Dan. I'm 30 and living in a big city. And for the last several years, I've been in a monogamous uh, heterosexual relationship with a slightly younger woman. The sexual energy at the start was highly charged, but something seemed off to me. So I kind of chalked it up to a bit of tension from our having left other people recently and how we kind of messily transitioned from just spending time together but not dating to poof being in a relationship eventually it was shared that she had a very traumatic sexual history and had never really spoken to anyone about it then for months sexual intimacy would lead with certainty to a triggering for her and she would abruptly shut down 
yet asked me to keep going. I felt like I was being asked to play the role of the stand-in perpetrator, and I would stop the sex. We would then really delicately talk for hours into the night, or she would cry for a while and then fall asleep, leaving me with a confusing, tangled web of my own emotions. She started to ask me to help her process what had happened to her, but I kind of felt like I'd already been doing that for the months of late-night talks, and B, that I had no idea what to do and was worried it might take over my life. So I suggested that she talk to a counselor and said I was more than willing to come into the sessions if it might be helpful. Flash forward a year, and we have had sex or been sexual maybe four or five times. I haven't been asked into a session. A lot of information has come forward about physical pain, relational anxiety, etc., all of which I can totally understand, and I've supported that we move ahead with her pace and things she's okay with. Yet recently, we've been getting into arguments about our sexual relationship and how she wants more commitment, e.g. marriage talk. She says she wonders why I don't want sex, why I don't pursue her, and to be honest, the whole nine months of sex ending and crying sessions has made me a bit reserved. However, I do think she's beautiful, and I've suggested countless ways that we could be sexy together without penetration, but I feel like all she wants to do is make out for hours, and that doesn't really rock my socks off. I'm starting to get a little resentful to feel guilty about it, and I feel like if I express my my needs more directly than I have been, I'll set off a trauma bomb, and I'm just exhausted of those. I care about her so much, and she's moving ahead in her life so bravely. But I feel like there's this giant hole in our relationship that is an energy sink. I don't know what to do, and I think it's ridiculous to talk about long-term plans with these elephants in the room. Part of me is saying, this is crazy, we're young, I'm not married, this isn't my trauma. Others have advised me to just exit the relationship. Another part of me is like, yo, I care about this person, and I've invested years of my life in this relationship. We can figure it out and sail on. I love this woman, yet I'm starting to forget what life was like before. E.g., fun, playful sex. My nuts still be in this relationship? The answer, I think, is obvious. He needs to take her to City Hall and marry her immediately. Lock it down, because this feels like it's going nowhere but positive places where you've got everything in place for a long-term, stable, satisfying Sexless, traumatizing shit show of a relationship. I was listening to your call. I just had my hand over my chest and just feeling sad about it because I feel like you are, at least the way that you're talking about it, you're doing all of the right things. And it sounds like she's working really hard too and more power to you. But do not make a lifetime commitment to someone when you know right now that there's something deeply unsatisfying. And that what I'm also hearing is that in the last year, she hasn't invited you into the counseling, which you said you would be clear about. And she hasn't introduced any of the things that you've said would be – right, things haven't gotten better. But also you said these are these other ways we can be sexual without penetration and those things aren't happening. And that may be something that she just can't do right now. What what stuck out to me was he said the reason he can't break up with her is that I care about this person. And my response to that would be you can break up with her and continue to care about her. But Mm -hmm. you don't have to be in a relationship with her when – it can't be the kind of relationship you want when it's been really, I think, kind of toxified by those nine months of attempts and tears and counseling. She needs a therapist, and good for you, caller, for getting her to one, for 
encouraging her to go and see one, but she needs a therapist and she needs some single time and she needs to work on this and unpack it on her own and not in the context of a relationship where there may be pressures or whatever, or expectations that are shutting her down. She wasn't at the start of this relationship in good working order. Right. None of us have to be healthy. None of us are hundred percent healthy, hundred percent perfect. But when you present yourself to someone as dateable shit, you kind of have to have your dateable shit together. Right. And she didn't. And that has pushed this relationship off in a direction where I don't think you can come back from the day. And look at the trauma now he's experiencing. Now he gets to be the monster who dumped the victim who was working on her shit. Just call it, call it. It's over. It's not going to get better. It may be that she needs to work through things sexually, but she doesn't need to work through things sexually in a in a relationship that's been locked down because you you have to really start out something that's a lifetime commitment, really feeling like you could imagine there being a lifetime commitment, and it sounds like you really can't. So this is just not – I would definitely not commit to that. And what if the end result of all this therapy and counseling is – I'm not saying that asexuality is related to sexual trauma. It certainly isn't. But coincidentally, perhaps – the reason she's satisfied just with physical intimacy in the form of kissing and nothing else is that's really all she wants. Which is fine. And will but, ever want. But that's not And a you match. don't want to be married to her when right. she figures that out. Right. Because then you get to divorce right. the poor victim. Love her. Don't marry her. Hi, Dan and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. I'm a 27-year-old gay man living in Los Angeles. And my question is this. I am a happy gay man. I'm fine being gay. I fucked a good amount of dudes. I love sucking cock. But I am curious about possibly trying something with women, kind of experimenting with them. The thing is with this whole issue, I've never heard about gay men being curious in fooling around or trying to, you know, you know, maybe just having, you know, casual fun with women. But, you know, I hear about this all the time with straight men. Straight men that are into sucking cock on occasion, but I never hear anything about gay men that are into, you know, licking pussy on occasion. I am, you know, occasionally interested in trying something out with a woman here and there. I just want to kind of satiate a curiosity in seeing what it's like to mess around with a woman. And I never hear about that. So what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts about curious gay men we hear about curious straight men all the time but what about curious gay men now back in the day if he was a 27 year old gay man and curious about experimenting with a woman and in seattle we would just have invited him into the studio and you would have taken one for the team there you go it was my job it was actually in the description other duties as assigned how much curiosity did you satiate i have to say that in that particular area none but (laughs) it doesn't mean that i'm not just waiting waiting May I speak to this briefly? Yes, please. Well, I would just like to say that the reason why you don't, why gay men do not talk about this, this, um, you know, curiosity is because, because they're afraid. Because they're afraid. I'm not afraid. You are afraid. I'm not afraid of anything. Here's the thing. Except w- pussy. Once you get your face down there, there's no going back. And so the gay men are afraid of losing numbers. That the, the, oh, ranks, the ranks will thin. <laughs> People will be like, what? People this will be is like, awesome. <laughs> This is like rimming, but you can get half your face in there. This keeps my face much warmer in the winter. <laughs> and it so it moisturizes as it exfoliates. Oh, that's, oh, there is an exfoliating factor. Is there? Well, it depends. 
Depends on if you're oh you know, God, dealing with a Brazilian work. situation or, you know, you never know. Okay, so to his question, why do we hear about straight men who are curious about cocksucking? We also hear about straight women who sometimes eat a little pussy, right. heteroflexibles. We don't hear so much about gay guys who go in who are curious. But I've heard from gay guys over the years who are curious about sex with a woman who went out and had it. I had sex with women uh, before I came out under duress, had to pretend they were boys. Um, but I don't think this is as common an interest. I, I, I do subscribe to the theory that male sexuality is a bit more fixed. Do you think it's more fixed? Hmm. It's certainly not police. I actually, I feel like I hear a lot about it now, not as much as, I mean, more so than I used to. Like, I feel like I definitely know guys who identify as gay who are like, yeah, but sometimes I have sex with women. So, or, or, you know, People who are sort of, you know, Kinsey Five. So they're, you know, they're kind of close mm-hmm. to super gay, but they're, you know, they're definitely like, this is interesting to me, or I was curious. So I, f- but I feel like I hear that more from younger people that it, they're sort oh, of like. Oh, you looked right at me when you said that. I hear I that s- from younger people, Dan. <laughs> younger Maybe you've heard of younger people. Whom shall I compare them to? <laughs> because I'm one to cast aspersions when it comes to age. But, um, no, I just, I feel like I actually do hear about it way more. I feel like it used to be that people would say, well, then you're really bisexual or you're, you know, really this or oh, your identity people tell is me I'm bisexual because really I had something. sex with women when I was 15 under duress with my eyes crazy glued something shot like this. picturing Andy Gibb. I mean, what you are is what you say you are, you know, and it's like if you're a happy gay man, yeah. we're, yeah. we, you and I fall down on different things on this. But I think that if you can say you're anything, here's but nobody's obligated here. to believe your ass. Well, Ted Haggard says he's straight. Do you believe him? Ted Haggard, the evangelical preacher who was This is a person though, who has an agenda. It's different to have an agenda behind be, We behind all have saying, agendas around our identities. I think if you're telling the truth to yourself, if you're, if you're saying things, you should respect what people call themselves. Tall. And I so, can barely see your chin from here. <laughs> <laughs> That's a conversation for another day. But anyway, I think, A, go for it. Yeah. I, I, you know, even if you don't hear about it, so what? You don't need to hear about other gay men doing this. Yeah, who cares? Do it. Go find you should, yourself something that you want to do that no one's ever mentioned before. And there's plenty of women out there who are into and attracted uh, to gay guys. Absolutely. Hear from them all the time. There's sad tales of woe that they go to the gay bars and they want to fuck all the gay guys. And the gay guys aren't interested in them. It will wind up in there being more straight girls hanging out in gay bars. But they should know that there's an occasional gay guy out there who might be interested in licking their pussies. Yeah, there, there would be a shocker, a, a woman who's like, no, no, I don't want you to do that. You know, there are women out there who really do just want you to go home in the morning and really do just want you to serve, their, serve their needs and get the heck out. So, you know, I think that you're, you're pretty much the dream guy for there's, there's a woman out there who's going to be your dream experiment. The, the quick ending of this is obviously you make sure that the woman knows what the story is, that you're just like checking things out, that you're not really like ready to change teams. And don't or, propose. Exactly. And then eat her pussy and run. Because that would be wrong. Hi, Dan. I am a 27-year-old bisexual, not really genderqueer, but kind of a tomboy. A couple months ago, I started seeing this guy, and everything was great. We were madly in love with each other. And uh, we didn't actually have heteronormative sex because... I wasn't ready because I actually have herpes simplex too and I didn't want to push anything into that range. And so I didn't really think of the fact that we didn't have sex until one night it came out that he said he was gay. And I that was sad and 
I was starting to get over it. But then he started calling me up and we started hanging out again and doing sexual things again. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy in the relationship. Uh, I'm the top. He's the bottom. And it's fun, but I, I, I don't want to give myself any delusions. I'm dating a gay man. He does not like vagina at all. And I like to have my vagina <laughs> worshipped and things like that. So uh, is it is it common? Is my somewhat gender queerness allowing this to work? Why does he continue to come back to me even though he doesn't want my private parts, but we have fun and we have sex? Maybe he's like not a total, not totally gay on the Kinsey scale. I, I don't know. Um, really confused and I've been wondering what you would say about all of this. Before we get to the real issues here, she likes to have her vagina worshipped. Is that a thing? And how do you do that exactly? You have a pray do and some candles, incense. I believe that there's a you know something that you there are different rituals at different points of your you know maturity in that particular church where you have to sort of work up to you take the lessons for the year and then you actually have the ceremony where you do the worshiping. Is there like a Hail Mary knockoff that's about maybe sort of yoni? Like a, I think Hail yoni be. full of vaginal even, secretions no. and mucus. Stopity stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we were just talking about like uh, how rare it is to hear about a gay guy who wants to have sex with a woman and here the very next caller is a woman who's having sex with a gay guy. But he doesn't sound very curious about Vag. Like, the right. issue here is she's having sex with a gay guy who is probably pretending she's a dude the whole time and wants nothing to do with her Vag, but is grooving on her strap-on. Right. So he's getting what he needs, and she's not. Or but, she's getting some of it. She's getting some affection and some play, but she's not getting a chunk of what she wants out of her sexual experience. She's like a sentient real doll. Those real dolls, those life-size right. sex toy dolls. Right. She's like a real doll that he doesn't have to spend $6,000 having customized. Right. Well, and I guess what I'm assuming here is that they're each the only person that they're seeing right now. So it's like, it sounds like this would be fine if she was also with somebody who was going to give her vagina all the love and attention that it needs, but it sounds like she's not getting that. She, and, and she isn't with that guy. And if she asks that of him, I'm sure it's over. Right. So she needs to ask herself if there's enough pleasure for her in just having the craziest queer sex imaginable, which is a lesbian fucking a gay dude in the ass of the strap on dildo, if that's fun all by itself and how long that's going to be fun, because it's never going to be about her pussy. And the minute she tries to make it about her pussy... Right. He's going to bolt. Well, it's also interesting that she said, I'm the guy. And then she goes, well, I'm the top. And it's like, well, maybe it's not that you're the top. Maybe for him, you are the guy. You're being a guy. And so you're serving that need for him, not necessarily what you're doing, but who you're being for him. And so if you're being a guy, there's going to be no vagina excitement. It's just not going to happen. So so she might want to invest if she wants to keep fucking around with this guy for her own pleasure however limited it is if it's worth it to her get one of those double-ended strap-on dildos that go into the vagina too those that has a vibrator attached to it don't i don't think of that as being i think that whole kind of trying to do two things at the same time is not necessarily as functional as one might want i think you might do a better job looking for someone who's going to really but want a, to be with you in the way that you want to be but that's a thing right people have managed to it's thread the there's nothing in it for me when i'm fucking in the ass of the strap on dildo needle by building a sex toy that goes back up and inside or that in- incorporates uh, I think vibrators and stuff. So I think it's more of a technical too. solution. I, it, to me, it feels like it, you're, you're making a solution to a problem that you could solve by just not having the problem in the first place. Instead of, you know, building a big honking machine, you could just put an ad in the paper and 
There's what one thing we've, we haven't addressed, though. She said at the top that she has herpes. Right. And perhaps he's just freaked out at the prospect of contracting herpes. And so he's avoiding her genitals for that reason. In which case, you should have a talk with him about paranoia and what a minor issue herpes is in the lives of most people who've been exposed to it. And if he's a sexually active gay man and he's, you know, in his 20s too or late 20s too, he's probably already been exposed to herpes. Right. Well, it also sounds like in the beginning that she wasn't interested in having penetrative sex because she said, because I have herpes. And then later on she said, but I really want somebody to pay attention, which makes me feel like she was having an outbreak. Now she's not. Mm -hmm. And maybe a second conversation has not been had. So who knows? There could be a little conversing that can make a difference. My guess is that this person probably isn't going to change. And so if there's something... Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think it's that she, he's picturing her as a guy the whole time, and the minute her pussy comes into play, pop goes the illusion, and yeah. uh, bye goes the gay dude. Hi, Dan. I'm a 31-year-old female, and I've been with my male partner for about five years. Um, I would love your help. I feel like there are a lot of issues in our relationship that we need to work through, but... A recurring one that I have a hard time communicating with him about is, um, but I'm honestly, it can be really judgmental about some of the choices that he makes, specifically around um, food choices and spending money. So I feel that he spends money really easily on things that are unnecessary or that he will use for a very short amount of time, and then it just becomes clutter or uh, gets thrown away or given away. And... In terms of food, I feel like he makes unhealthy choices like eating fast food and stuff like that. And I I kind of suppressed my feelings around this because I know he's not forcing me to spend money I don't want to spend or forcing me to eat things that I don't feel are healthy. But, you know, I these are not choices I would want him making around, you know, our future children if we were to have children. And it's just a, a feeling I can't shake. And I... I don't know if I should just get over myself and figure out a way to be less judgmental about this wonderful person who's a big part of my life and, you know, makes me laugh more than anybody I know combined. It's hard to be completely honest and communicate how I feel without also being entirely hurtful, you know, saying you make bad choices. And I I kind of hear myself say that in my head and it just sounds really judgy and unloving. Um, anyway, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. And it's not like this is our only relationship issue. There are questions about like sexual compatibility, which I know is not a small thing. Um, yeah, I would, I would love your help if you have any advice to offer. I may have to recuse myself from answering this question or helping you with this problem because of the grass seed spreader that is somewhere in our house. I have the same problem with my husband of 20 years. He spends money on stupid shit we don't need. Exhibit A would be the grass seed spreader. We had some our yard torn up because there's a sewer problem. And I said, go buy a bag of grass seed because the yard is all mud. And he comes home with a bag of grass seed and this weird green plastic thing that you put the grass seed in and turn a crank and it throws it when we both had hands at the ends of our arms with which you can throw the grass seed and you don't need the little grass seed spreader bullshit piece of plastic landfill bait. You don't need that. And even if you really did need it, you would only need it that one time because you're not going to be spreading grass seed once a week. You're going to do that once in your fucking life. Anyway, Terry buys shit like that. 
all the fucking time. Shit we don't need. Shit that I look at for about six months and now 20 years into the relationship. I don't argue with him about it. I don't say anything about it. Thank God Terry's not a listener to the podcast. I just throw it away or sell it or take it to Goodwill or put it on Craigslist. I just get rid of it. And he never misses it. I would encourage you to do that. And I would encourage you to focus on the real problem, which probably isn't the dumb bullshit that he buys that you guys don't need, which probably isn't uh, the food that he eats. And good luck policing somebody else's food consumption. Sexual compatibility. You just toss that one out there at the very end. We have issues of sexual compatibility. That's what's going to destroy your relationship in the long run. And we don't really have any facts about that because you just sort of slip that in there as a piece of the – as, as sort of a little throwaway comment, but it's probably a big piece of what you're talking about. It's the bigger piece. You're focusing on minor bullshit issues because you don't want to ask the question about or you're too afraid to look at the big issue, which is sexual compatibility. And we're just firing into the dark here. But my email at Savage Love and half the calls at the podcast, but 80% of the email are just relationships that are foundering on issues of basic sexual compatibility. And people didn't feel at the outset of that relationship that they could prioritize sexual compatibility because then they were a bad person who was thinking too much about sex and putting too much importance on sex and not looking at this person as the person that they are and loving them for everything else they bring to the table when sexual compatibility will destroy it will undermine your relationship sexual incompatibility will destroy and undermine your relationship it is a cancer that will grow and kill your relationship solve that you know what though i really do want to bring up what she said about the food because i think that that even if that's what she's Choosing to talk about instead of talking about the sexual compatibility, one of the things that will destroy – I think it's something like the largest indicator of whether or not a relationship will be successful is um, not if you're angry with somebody or not if you don't trust somebody, but if you have disgust for your partner or if you have disdain for them in some way or – and so when you talk about your feelings about his eating – that's really significant. And so if you have, and I'm not saying that you can't have those feelings or that it's, that it may not be a reasonable thing for you to, you know, maybe it's to talk about it, maybe it's to talk about it. And it may be something that you're concerned about yourself, but here's the thing. Like we all know, people don't change in these deep ways. So if you're making a commitment to somebody in the long haul and you're thinking about having children with someone, which means you're committing to someone in the long haul, whether you get married or don't or whatever. I'm here to tell you that or like – Stay together or not. Exactly. You're, you, once you make the deal and there's a kid, you're with that person for the rest of your life at least paying for school and, and dealing with that stuff. So you need to make sure that this is someone that you can look at with some kind of love in your heart and respect for the rest of your life until you keel over dead. <laughs> and so – um, if you have disdain for this person around this, you need to think I, about I think whether or not you want to transference. Maybe whatever the issues of sexual compatibility are that she doesn't identify or talk about, maybe that's where the disgust lies. And it's easier for her to process that's or possible. talk about her disgust around his food choices rather than her disgust around some of his sexual interests or, the, or lack it is, thereof. Or lack thereof. Whatever it is that's causing this, the, the sexual disconnect that I think is, if not the issue, singular, because it's never an issue singular in any relationship, but the most important one. And she just slips it in right at the end. Right. 
And that's the one that you see. I, I disagree. Like somebody who has like weird food things, you can pull somebody into your orbit around those things. Um, you know, I'm, no, I hear I'm you. more fun now after 20 years with Terry. I'm not a very fun person generally, and I would tack towards a complete unfunness and isolation. Terry makes me fun. Terry reads newspapers now and votes now because I sort of pulled him in that direction. Right. And, and I do think that you know, when two people come together, it's like two planets coming together. You come into each other's orbit, and things are going to change a little bit around the edges. And diet is something that can change for the better. I think you sh- you can shift, but sex isn't and you can pull and you can pull people into your orbit. You cannot expect that you can change someone or that you can't base your desire of having a relationship with somebody based on the fact that you believe that somebody's going to change. I think that you can really hope that somebody comes in closer to what you want to see in them. It's those minor things that change, though. Like, I didn't care that Terry didn't read the newspapers. He just kind of got into the habit of reading the newspapers because I did. Mm-hmm. And so he picked it up, right? Mm-hmm. And he's not an idiot. He's a smart, smart Peer pressure. guy. But he just sort of picked it up because it was like something in my world. And I eat better because of the way he eats. Mm-hmm. We want you to be happy and you just need to talk to your person. I hate to be the breakup machine Break it or the up. DTMFA machine, but you need to focus on what the real issue here is, which is sexual compatibility. compatibility. And if you can't establish basic sexual compatibility, there's no long-term hope for this relationship. And 20 years from now, you will be writing me, not bitching about the ho-hos and the Doritos, bitching about the fact that you haven't had sex for four years. Hey, Dan. I have a question uh, regarding protocol. I am a gay man. I am HIV negative. And I subscribe to the various apps and things where you can find other people to have uh, fun with. Um, So I chat with a variety of people and exchange pictures. And then there comes the time where I say I've only ever played safe. And I say drug and disease free, negative, you, question mark. And some people say they're negative and drug and disease free as well. And some people say undetectable which means they are undetectable, but they are HIV positive. And as I have only ever played safe with negative guys, my response usually is, you know, sorry, I only, other, I only play with other negative guys. Some people say, understand, no problem, have a good one. But often people flip out and say, F you, uh, I didn't want to have sex with you anyway, you know, just, horrible rants and raves and block me from even responding to that. And so I want to know, is there a, a better way to deal with a situation like that? Am I being, uh, I don't want to be insensitive. Um, I'm not saying I'm sorry they're HIV positive. Uh, I'm just saying that my rule is that I don't play with other positive, with positive guys. I only play with negative guys. You don't have to fuck anybody you don't want to fuck. That's just the ground. That's the basic. That, that, that's bedrock. You don't have to fuck anybody you, you don't want to fuck. That said, when you say to some guy who has disclosed to you that he is undetectable, uh, that you only sleep with guys who tell you they're negative, you're outing yourself as kind of a moron because the guys who tell you that they're negative, some of them indeed may be negative. Some of them may be positive and not know it yet, which makes them infinitely riskier as sex partners to you than a pause guy who knows he's pause and is in treatment and is taking his drugs and has an undetectable viral level. That guy, that pause guy who is doing everything right, including disclosing, telling the truth, telling the truth is less risky than the guy who thinks he's negative and isn't, or the guy who lied to you 
about being negative and wasn't because he didn't want you to reject him for being pause. You should be using condoms. You should be on Truveda if you're sleeping around, right? They're recommending from the World Health Organization, all sorts of mainstream groups now recommending that sexually active gay men get on Truveda. So if you really want to protect yourself from infection and you want to play broadly, you want to have many sex partners, the way to do that is not to eliminate the truthful guys who pose no risk to you if they are indeed undetectable, but to proactively protect yourself with condoms and Truveda and to stop shitting down people's throats. I couldn't add anything more. That said, you don't have to sleep with anybody you don't want to sleep. You can disqualify people for any reason. Uh, But the people that you've disqualified for what can seem arbitrary reasons or unfair or judgmental or self-defeating or stupid reasons, they also have a right to react. They have a right to be angry or upset and to express that to you. So you don't have to fuck anybody for whatever reason. But if you are going to be shitty to pause people who are doing everything right, including disclosing, you have, you're signing up for some pause people being shitty to you right back. That's God's way. Hi, Dan. I have a question about pelvic floor strengthening, specifically Luna beads. I bought these Luna beads from the company Lilo. And the idea is that a woman can insert them, simply walk around, not necessarily flex on the beads. And by doing this, supposedly receive stronger muscle tone, reducing continence, and stronger, more attainable orgasms. And I'm wondering if there is any scientific evidence that this would actually work. I thought that perhaps the longer I left the beads in, the faster I would obtain better muscle tone. But I contacted the company and they said to limit the use to 30 minutes a day. They wouldn't say why. It would be great if you or perhaps your medical henchman could shed some light on whether simply walking around with these types of balls is actually beneficial. And if so, where is that time limit coming from? So Luna beads, we just looked them up, are basically Benoit balls 2.0, sort of Benoit balls as if Apple computers made them. <laughs> it's kind of what they look like, right? They're, they're eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> eyeballs you put in your pussy that make your pussy stronger well, somehow. Right. You used to sell sex toys. Indeed I did. Um, so, so just quickly, well, Benoit balls, do they work? What are they? Do they work? What's the point? There's some sort of Kegel-inducing exercise inspiring I don't think toy? we – so I worked at Toys in Babeland a while ago and I don't think we even ever sold Benoit balls. So Benoit balls are like probably uh, like an inch and a half in diameter. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of more – just recreational, right? They're kind of light. The things that the thing that we and you put sold, them in your pussy and walk around with them. That was the point. Mm, of I guess that was the point of them. It was kind of, to me that always seemed like more of a novelty factor. Like, ooh, crazy! I've got something in my cooter and I'm walking around. Like, there you go. I'm I'm naughty. So um, my vagina is being worshipped automatically. Automatically, right I've got a secret. You know, like I'm at, I'm at work. Ooh, naughty me. People who really wanted. I mean, basically, what you're talking about is. Is that when you strengthen your Kegel muscles, um, which are the muscles inside your vaginal walls, um, things that we would uh, that that those can make your orgasm stronger. They can make you more continent if you've had children. When we look up this thing that says you know Luna balls, it says they're most 
most comfortable or most often enjoyed by women who have experienced childbirth. So I don't know, perhaps that means that they're extra large or I'm not sure what they're saying to us with the, you know, description of this product. But if you want to strengthen your kegels, first of all, you can do it for the magic price, which is free by just clenching like you're peeing and then you want to stop your pee. And then so you can just sit in a chair and just do it and you don't need anything. And, and men should do it too. Guys who want to theoretically ejaculate farther, guys who want right. to have better or orgasm control are encouraged also to do kegels to, and, and to, you can do it without stopping the flow of pee but if you want to feel where those muscles are and how to control them sit down to pee or stand up to pee and midstream stop, stop. you've just squeezed off your kegel muscles right. and you, I'm, I'm doing it right now let's both do it together okay here we're doing I'm squeezing my kegels so are the tech savvy we have a room full of people squeezing their kegels right squeezing. now all for free I haven't Unless you're a Magnum subscriber, in which case, listening to us squeeze our cables is 20 bucks a year. And I, I haven't peed my pants in at least the last 30 minutes, so I'm feeling <laughs> good about that. So, but anyway, if you wanted to, if you were interested in strengthening those muscles, there's actually um, something called like a vaginal barbell that you can use. That's it's heavy and it's small. You know, it's not like a barbell length kind of thing. It's probably like eight inches long, and it's got balls on each end. But it's it's made out of metal, and you, it just gives you something to clench and your please muscles. Please wipe against. them down when you use them at the gym. Indeed, right? Please use your little rags so you get the, the sweat, etc., off of it. But the question she had is about time limit. Is there any time limit for how long you can leave something in your vagina that isn't a human? Well, humans don't linger in your vagina. They don't? They usually just pass through. They're just passing through. <laughs> well, you know, there's somebody here who could answer that question better. Than, um, vagina as Greyhound bus station. It's true. Um, you would have to talk to the people who make that product because they may have something that they're saying that there's bacteria or something that could become an issue. But I don't think it's going to weaken your muscles for something to be in there. But I also don't think it's really going to do that much. I think that it's probably sort of a novelty item that may give you pleasure or not. But if you're interested in... Uh, strengthening your muscles, you might want to look at a different product or just do it yourself. Or free. There you or go. Or no product at all. God knows I'm cheap. I'm here to hook you up with the facts for free. Hey, Dan. This is Ted from Olympia. I'm a 31-year-old hetero male. Uh, I have a girlfriend who's 22. First month into our relationship, I told her I wasn't into porn. And she found out on my that I had looked at porn because it was a lie. I had looked at porn in our first month we were together. Haven't since since it became such a sensitive subject. And basically, ever since she caught me in this lie, which I admitted and took my fault for, she's been accusing me of sleeping around basically constantly and with all kinds of people, like all kinds of women. The girl who runs by, my boss's wife, my ex-girlfriend. But, and normally I'd be like, all right, well, I'm just not going to deal with this. You know, we can't be together. You don't trust me. But I feel like I can't leave her because she's had post-traumatic stress disorder. She's been diagnosed with a few different things. She's only 22 and she's just like going through this stuff in her life. So I just do not know what to do. Like come home almost every day. If something's different, she thinks I'm cheating. If she said my face smelled like pussy one time, like, this just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know how to get further with it, or is this just something I need to be patient with? Anyways, any advice would be great. He needs to break up with her, or he needs to start fucking other people. Because if you're going to be executed for the crime, you might as well commit it. I find myself wondering how long they've been together, because what he's saying is that this all happened within that first month. And he said, I'm not into porn. And then she found porn on his phone. 
you can be not into porn, which if somebody said I'm into porn, I would think that meant like, oh, I don't know, I take days off from work to spend time <laughs> watching it or you know things like that, as opposed to I look at porn sometimes. And so if this guy looks at porn sometimes and it's on his phone, I don't even feel like that's a huge lie. The two big issues here, though, are some people have this unrealistic attitude that their partner shouldn't want to fuck other people or be attracted to other people. And if they find any evidence whatsoever that their partner is attracted to other people, they lose their minds when everyone should know that, of course, your partner is attracted to other people. Being in a committed relationship means you're going to refrain from fucking other people. You're still going to want to fuck other people. So I never understand these people who blow up because they uncovered evidence of what they should goddamn know to be true. Of course I looked at some porn. Of course I noticed that pretty girl. Of course I checked out that guy. Of course I was on Grinder for a day looking at dudes. Of course I want to fuck other people, but I don't. And that's what she's freaking out about. Oh my God, here's this porn. You clearly aren't only and solely attracted to me, which means I can't trust you around any other females ever. And the other issue is, bitch, be crazy. Well, what I'm also, I don't even think it's about whether or not he's attracted to other people. I think it's about the fact that she doesn't trust him. Either she can't trust him slash she doesn't trust him. And we're talking about a symptom though. Well, that's what I'm saying is that I think that she can't trust him or she feels like she can't trust him. And he's in something that sounds like not a very long, I mean, I don't know if, if I even would have called this a relationship that, that they haven't it's been, a hostage situation. they haven't been together that long. And because somebody is dealing with mental illness or a challenge, it doesn't mean that you need to stay with that person forever. You're you can not... be sympathetic to them. And what incentive does she have to work through her mental health issues if that's the only thing keeping you there? If that's a lever that she can flip to control you, like I'm, I have PTSD, I'm having a breakdown, and I'm unhappy, I'm I'm mentally ill, or I'm just in a really bad place. Then you can never ever leave. However irrational or unpleasant she is, sounds like he at the end of a call it sounds like he goes home every day to drama and accusations about all the women he fucked that day. And I didn't hear him say anything about these are the 10 things I'm attracted to about her and this is this one thing that's hard. It sounds like it's just hard. It's too hard. And it needs to be over. Yeah. And it doesn't – in these sorts of situations, it can be scary when you're the person who's with somebody who's having – who's in therapy, who has counseling, who has PTSD, who's struggling with some sort of mental health issue. It can feel dicey to leave. But I don't think – you're necessarily helping that person get healthy by staying if there's this understanding, conscious or subconscious, that their problems are what's keeping you in the relationship. That you can't leave so long as they have these issues, have these problems, that so long as they're struggling or flailing, then you're stuck. What incentive do they have to ever work through their issues or get past them? Not one. Not much of one. So you go. You leave. And you can still care, like the answer to the caller earlier, you can still care about this person and you can communicate to that to them and you can be there for them in ways that you can, but you can't be in a relationship with this person for what, caller, 50 more years? You're 30 and she's 22, 50 more years, 60 more years with her? With this? With the information that you've given us, if there's nothing else that you wanted to tell us about some enormously supportive and wonderful attraction that you guys have... This is just, it's time to call it. And who knows, maybe after you go, that will be the incentive that she needs to really get her shit together. And in five years, you guys can circle back and maybe date again. When she's only 27, 26, and you're in your mid-30s, maybe there's a point in your lives down the road where you could reconnect once she's worked through her shit. Mm -hmm. 
but she has no incentive to work through her shit so long as it's keeping you there. So long as you have to be her punching bag for these irrational accusations, if she stays unhappy and unwell, she's going to stay unhappy and unwell. Mm -hmm. Hi, Dan. I'm a 24-year-old straight female calling from the Midwest. I've been a listener for quite some time, but I've never heard you talk about mate coaching. It seems that no matter who I'm dating, there will be one or several women acquaintances who will send unwarranted sexual text messages or act inappropriate towards my boyfriend. I know it's nothing that he's doing, but I still get upset that these girls act like that. So I guess my question is, what's the best way to go about a situation where your mate is being poached? I like my men like I like my eggs. Poached. With holidays. I've never heard of mate poaching. I like it, though. I feel like it's something that's going to become a thing. Like a Hannibal Lecter thing. I know. Mm, poached. Sort of. <laughs> With fava beans. Steamed and nice lightly. Uh, okay, so this seems to be a real problem. Maybe she's not making this up. That okay. She dates guys and then girlfriends or acquaintances of hers start flirting with that guy. And that seems to be a thing. I mean, I've heard of this before where a guy who's unavailable is suddenly that much more attractive. Forbidden fruit, right? So people sometimes do make a play for other people's partners. And I guess her question is, how do you handle that when it happens? Why does she have these friends? Although she says acquaintances, not friends. But it just seems kind of skeevy that people that you know would do that. But I also know that I, I hear that that's a thing. So... How do you deal with it? Just you either you trust your person or you don't. Because this person has not that that poacher has nothing to do with you or your man. It's you know disrespectful though. Oh, I know I know how you deal with it. Like you go full you housewives. I'm gonna say you take your earrings off <laughs> and you go nuts on them. <laughs> Put your earrings on the table, you throw the glass of Chardonnay in their face, and, and then you a, charge. Just a crazy ass. Bitch snacking. And the only person who benefits from that scenario ultimately is your the guy. boyfriend who enjoys being fought over. Maybe this whole phone call is part of a thing that they've got going on. I may be constitutionally uh, ill-suited to answer this question because people will flirt with Terry and I'm like, awesome. You go. Good luck. Right. That's what I sort of feel like. It's like, you know, who cares if they're and, – and if he is – Tempted to have his way with a poacher, then, well, then that's the conversation. It's, it doesn't have to do with that other person. There are always going to be things out there that are distracting or luring and, well, maybe, you know. Maybe, maybe Terry is the way to pick this lock. Some guy makes a play for Terry and Terry literally holds up his phone and says, look at this. And I'm like, <laughs> and we both have a little giggle about it or we uh-huh. talk about it. And it's never anybody in our immediate circle. It's never everybody, you know, it's never everybody who like knows us as a couple and right. respects our relationship and everything else. Right. It's always some like three points removed right. Kevin Bacon degrees <laughs> of separation, right? And, and so he doesn't hide them from me. So it's not mm-hmm. like I find this out or I'm going through his phone and I'm seeing these dirty texts. Right. So maybe the problem for her partly is uh, I'm just shooting in the dark again, how her boyfriend is handling this. Mm. Is he hiding these texts from you or is he saying, look what this bitch Lisa said to me just now? Right. And, <laughs> and I'm not interested in her and what a doofus. And, and if he's and showing her that stuff for her to, for for this girl to do, and if he's showing her that stuff, then who freaking cares? Just I, the way you cut drama down is you don't engage in it. So if somebody's doing something inappropriate, just laugh laugh at it and step off. And if he takes off with that other person, then you're better off without that person. But there's no way really to approach that person and say, "Stop text messaging my boyfriend," because then you just give them the satisfaction of knowing that they've gotten under your skin, knowing that you 
they probably instigated a fight between you and your boyfriend the, the previous night or a couple nights ago about the text messages. And it's just creating drama. And it creates drama. Don't – It's boring. Earrings on, Chardonnay in the glass. Exactly. Be Rise chill. above it. Rise above. Be gracious. Keep the poaching for the eggs. Hi, Dan. I have kind of a funny question uh, for you. Um, I have a good friend. I've known her my whole life. And she recently, well, about a year ago, started dating this guy. And things are going well for them, except for there's uh, a jealousy issue between my friend and his cat. I guess he just recently got a cat. And the cat comes into the room or, like, nuzzles up against him. And he gives the cat a lot of attention and tells the cat how beautiful the cat is and pays a lot more attention to the cat than my friend feels he pays to her. So long story short, she's asked me if she should tell this guy if he could, uh, you know, give less attention to the cat uh, or maybe get rid of the cat. And I don't know what to tell her because I've never been jealous of any animal before. Uh, but at the same time, I see where she's coming from. When um, she gets home, he's kind of more interested in the cat than he is in her. So anyway, I would really love your advice on what to tell her. I don't want to tell her to tell him. And then that would create some sort of problem in the relationship. But at the same time, uh, jealousy is a difficult emotion to deal with. And I, I don't want her to have to just suffer with this cat issue. I'm going to lean back in my chair and let you handle this one. This is a cat impacting a relationship issue. I realize it's a straight relationship, but I just feel that as a lesbian... There's a lesbian angle this on is this. Your, this is your chance to soar. And I'm I just going like, to lean back in my chair and drink my tea. I feel like there are so many um, different things to unpack here. Like It's clearly um, a relationship with multiple players, and clearly the cat is the primary. So... We've got that going on. First, you cannot ask someone to get rid of their animal. It's just they're going to hate you for it. Okay, so and I, I find myself wondering why the triangulation. Why is the friend contacting us about this? This is already, you know, we've got the cat, we've got the friend, we've got. There's just a the lot boyfriend. of there's a lot of conversation about this, and you know, I think if you feel like you can't compete with his pet, then you're going to have a hard time building a long-term thing with someone who's going to have, oh, I don't know, other interests and other important people in their life. I mean, you need to be able to roll with that. And, if, you know. You're a lesbian of a certain age. Indeed, I am. And the cliche is that lesbians have cats. Right, which have I've never, never had a cat. You've never had a cat. No. Really? No. Okay, but have you ever dated a woman who had a cat that you felt that she was more tender toward and more intimate with and that – have you ever been in the caller's friend's shoes where you were jealous of some dyke's cat? No. Um, I've dated people. Because you're not no, a psycho. But I have dated people who had animals that they were greatly devoted to, but it's just a whole different thing. It's like even if somebody – and my friends are the biggest animal lovers ever. Like, you know, they they love their animals, but – it's a different thing. I mean, it's like, and if this person has some sort of like unhealthy relationship with his cat, then, you know, there's another conversation to be had. But you just, you can't compete with somebody's animals. You can't, because people get unless a certain, you're willing, Unless you're willing to say, 
uh, you can have me spayed or put me down. There you go. If you want to be to get, have the same sort of like place in his life that his cat has, you have to be willing to. Or just to. drop me off at a no-kill bar. <laughs> <laughs> Do lesbians have those? Because gay men don't. Oh, I know. It's hard, right? I just feel like you need to you need to let that person get their – the love that you get from an animal. And I'm here to tell you that I love other people's animals. I don't want to have an animal. I don't want to deal with anything that poops in my house that isn't going to grow up and go to college eventually. You know what I mean? So it's like that's just, it's just not happening. And uh, I feel that way and I have a dog. So See, I, I think that if dogs were humans, we would have them institutionalized. Really? It's always going to be shitting on the floor? It's never going to get any smarter? It's like there's something terribly go. wrong. Chip chop, off with you. But – other people love their animals and they get this unconditional love and a human can't give what animals give. And so I say let your person get what they get from that animal and it's going to make your life a lot easier. I actually saw somebody uh, read a piece once about his relationship with his dog who had just died. And he addressed that point that everybody, everyone says an animal gives you unconditional love and it's actually the reverse. Mm. That what an animal draws out of you is unconditional love. That you are – we are able to love our animals unconditionally – because they make no demands on us and mm-hmm. they are nonverbal and they don't have an opinion about the snack foods we eat or right. the dumb seed spreaders we buy. And you don't have to negotiate with them about anything and you can have them killed when the time comes. And it's a different sort of relationship. Mm-hmm. So if you're comparing – if this, if your friend is comparing her boyfriend's love for his cat to, and his treatment of his cat to his love and treatment of her, she's demented. Because those are very different kinds of relationships. That said, if she comes home from work and he comes home from work and he has no eyes for her and is scratching the cat and not speaking to her and not spending time with her, then the issue isn't about the animal. The issue is about why he doesn't have the energy or the attention or the interest in her. And that's its own conversation to have. But that's separate from whether or not he loves his but going in with the, it's me or it's the cat is a losing strategy. A losing strategy. You cannot do that. Cat was there first and I'm here to tell you that that cat lives, what, 20 years? That cat's going to be there after you. Unless you have it killed. Unless you That's true. take out a mob hit on his cat. Don't do that. Hi, Dan. I have a 12-year-old daughter who may be a lesbian. She thinks she might be. I don't know if she thinks she might be because I'm like super ultra liberal and gay rights have been a big thing for us and our family because I have a lot of gay friends or if she really is a lesbian. Um, So many things are changing in our culture today. I want to know how to be a good mom and how to encourage her to to be whoever it is she wants to be without influencing her in any particular direction. Any thoughts about that you might have would be fantastic. I don't want to make any assumptions. You know, I recognize that female sexuality is really fluid. So ah. are you still a lesbian? Oh, yes. Okay. I just want to <laughs> you, establish you're a lesbian at the top of the show, but that's true. You never know. Uh, I don't really use the word. It's weird. I just feel like I don't think about using the word lesbian a lot. I feel like you've used the word lesbian more in relationship to me than I've heard in the last five years. What do you use? I just don't use a word for it. I just sort of like am who I am, which actually. May you I are your own could special this creation. just bleed right into the conversation? So you know, speaking of ladies, um, that so this person who's asking, you know, I don't, I don't know what my kid is. I want to help her grow into whoever she is. Let her grow into whoever she is. And this is something that I say to the children in my life, and have said it as recently as you know, mere days ago. 
I think a lot of times both young people and the people who are helping them become older people really want to know who they are and really want to call something something and want to say, I'm bisexual or I'm a lesbian or I'm queer or I'm not or I'm straight or I really want this and that. And really what it comes down to is that you're going to do what you're going to do. You're going to be interested in who you're going to be interested in. People are going to want you who are going to want you. And then you call it something. I don't think you really establish or but her daughter point, is calling herself something at this point. Her daughter has told I think her she said she that, thinks she might be a lesbian. she thinks she right? might be a lesbian. So then you might say, that's great. That's, you know, if that's what, if, if that's where you are right now, then just like roll with that and just say, you know, what, what does that mean to you? If you're curious, ask her and say, what, what do you think that that means to you? And I think the only danger that you should avoid, and when she says influencing one way or the other, that sounds a little odd, but I have seen this happen with some parents of, of queer kids where the parent's identity gets really wrapped up in being the parent of a queer, of the queer kid, kid, that you become the P-flag super mom when your kid is 13 and a half, and that's awesome, and then when you, And then when your kid wants to date somebody of the opposite sex, then you're freaked out or it changes your identity. Or your right. kid feels self-conscious about disappointing you because you don't get to be the super parent of a queer kid anymore. Right. So you want to be supportive without seeming overly invested in whatever mm. the final outcome is. And I think it's legit to say to a 12-year-old, yeah, okay, you you feel you may be a lesbian. That's something that may bear itself out. Either way is fine. And let's just listen, continue to listen to your body and listen to your feelings and listen to your pussy and see where this goes and see who you are and your body and your psyche and your emotions and your heart will reveal all in time. And she's also, I mean, she's the parent of a 12-year-old and I don't know if she has any older kids, but this is the time when you need to learn how to have I mean, you should always have appropriate boundaries with your child, but now is the time that you're going to start really having to have a different a different set of boundaries where your child is going to do things that have nothing to do with you and they're going to have issues that have nothing to do with you and they're going to do things that you're not going to know anything about and you need to be okay with the fact that they're just different from you and that they're going to have identities that change and everything like that. But you just, you have to have good boundaries. And so maybe you need to. And one of the boundaries, again, I really want to emphasize this point. One of the boundaries again is to not run around in front of your child 24 hours a day, patting yourself in the back about what an awesome parent you are to a queer kid. Right. Because you don't want to put your child in the position of feeling they're going to disappoint you if they're not queer. Right. If they were misreading their own heart, their own twat, their own Or signals. not straight or not whatever, but right. just let them be who they're going to be and let them know, the, just let them know that, they're awesome that you love them no matter what they are. Exactly. And there's a time to become the awesome P-flag parent, but I don't think it's at 12. Right. 22. Can 18. I tell you? Well. Are you still a lesbian? Can I tell you? Wait, wait are you still a lesbian? I was a lesbian lesbo, at the beginning lesbo, of this lesbo, 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 lesbo. <laughs> I can't believe I'm in trouble for calling you a lesbian. No, you're not in trouble. Are you not a lesbian anymore? No, I think it's the word lesbian is just so like you haven't turned retro. Into you haven't turned into one of those. I reject labels. Labels are No, no, not things. at all. I, I love a good label. But it's just it's just funny. It just feels very retro. I feel like, you know, I mean I'm dating myself by using that word. What do they call women who sleep with women in New know. Hampshire or wherever it's fuck you? New live? Hampshire. I'm in Western Mass. What ofs? I don't know. I think just queer or something like that or everybody just kind of Sapphists? is what they are. Yes, that's absolutely. absolutely. Atomites. <laughs> anyway, respect your kid, listen to them. Don't be too invested in their identity. It's creepy. Hi, Dan, longtime listener, um, and I really love your work. But um, I just have to say, 
I'm so frustrated with your, um, you know, your obvious um, view of quote unquote overweight or fat people as um, something you don't approve of, that you don't understand, you don't accept. Um, and it's really consistently shocking to me because you're so awesome and you're so liberal and progressive. And I just feel like you're so much smarter and better than to hold um, a belief like that. It's so ignorant. Um, and I'm really surprised that over the years you've consistently held that belief. You know, my personal opinion is that, you know, I really uh, am able to identify with people who have grown up and been socialized and live with adults as outsiders. And, you know, for years I've, um, you know, been really upset about how, how people who are homosexual are treated. And it's not to say I completely understand um, what it's like to grow up gay, because I'm not, but I do completely understand what it's like to feel like you're being persecuted and shamed for something that you really can't control. And for me, that's being fat. And for years and years, you know, fat shamed, I grew up in a household like that. It was so painful to be not loved on, on an unconditional level, um, for people to regard you um, with, you know, to only want to be around you and love you if you change something about yourself that you feel like you can't. So, you know, for years, then I went into an eating disorder, the whole thing. The point is, you know, I really hope that you can, can view it differently. And maybe it'll take something like having a family member who's fat and into the fat, fat acceptance movement um, or a friend for you to really kind of understand where we're coming from because unfortunate all right well you're still awesome thanks if only i knew some fat people if only um most people in my family were uh fat if only i had been fat as a teenager i might understand i might know something i look down on you mary well you look down on me because i'm five foot two there, so there's that there you go but i don't look down do you identify as a fat person absolutely being fat and all you know <laughs> I know, like the word lesbian, I'm like, oh, I don't know about the word lesbian. The word fat, I am all about it. So it's like, and I've been a fat person my whole life. So, and you know, it, it is, it's like something that comes up for you a lot. And I think maybe what people don't realize is that it's not you being, well, I've always been this, you know, lengthy, lean machine who just doesn't understand you fat people in the world. Um, I think it's because you've got a lot of stress and anxiety around your fat history and your family. I mean, <laughs> well, you really do. Can we put but here's the thing. Let's, go ahead. Finish. No, I'm just saying. I, I think Shut that, up, fat person. Yay, you. Um, I think that it's loaded for you, and you um, have opinions then and take it out in ways that a lot of people are going to find inconsistent. Okay, she, she goes on and on about my beliefs about fat people, and without any sites, without any mentions, just this sort of free-floating kind of agitas about what I might believe. Well, why don't you say what people? you think she's talking about? I think, and I get in trouble for thinking and sometimes saying aloud that there is a relationship between how much you move, how much you eat and how big you are. Mm -hmm. And individual results may vary. I also think that it's a good thing to be physically active and get exercise. I don't think everyone's going to be a size zero, all ladies. I don't think all male bodies or all men are going to be Adonises or Adonisai, mm -hmm. nor do they need to be. People come in all sorts of different shapes and mm -hmm. sizes. But the more active uh, and physically active you are, and I say this as somebody who is kind of religious about physical activity because for me it's um, an antidepressant. I right. think I would be on chemical antidepressants if I right. didn't get some exercise right. every day. Um, 
I just think it is better for the body, better for the brain, better for people's sex and sexuality. Whether that turns everybody into a, you know, shrinks everybody's bodies, I have no investment in that. None whatsoever. Is that really true? Yeah. Yeah, I don't care how big other people are or how small they are. But See, I, I, I think have a people are going to say that they that that's not true. I have a problem with being told that I have to say the sky is green and the grass is blue. That I recognizing that individual results may vary, recognizing that sometimes there is a, a genetic component and sometimes a societal economic component. Mm-hmm. Um, that it really kind of boils down to calories in, calories out. But and, you know what? And I don't think everybody has to be the same size. And I think that if people take pleasure in one thing and not my things, that that's fine. But I, I just have a problem when I'm people look at me and say, you have to tell me that I'm big for reasons to comfort me as opposed to, I think, the actual ones. Well, here's the thing. It's not as simple as calories in, calories out, which more and more information is saying. I mean, where that that formula is not static and it's not the same for everybody. That's why and I said so, individual results may vary. Right. But then you said you then said calories in, calories out, which is one of those things that people say, like, well, if you would just. But I don't and think, I think it comes down to, to. I don't think people have to just. If you would just do this and that. And I think moving I mean, your moving your body is a really good thing. And being as healthy as you, you know, behaving as healthfully as you can is also a good thing. There are people who can't move. You know, there are people who can't do things to change where they are. There are people who start at a point where um, any kind of activity that they do is a good thing, and it's never going to make them be um, to fit into any kind of but, societal. But those are two of what they separate like. issues for me. I don't think that people should move and be physically active to whatever uh, capacity they're able to get thin. Because thin is the goal. I think, irrespective of your size, it's a good thing to be physically active. It's good. Mentally, emotionally, everything else, and the other if side you're able of it to is, do that. if you're able to do it, the other side of it is, I, I, I think that you know you can't look at the obesity epidemic and the way it's correlated so strongly with our more sedentary lifestyles and with uh, corn syrup taking over our diets and the availability of, of food, this crazy availability of food and constant uh, sort of having it laid in front of us. And think that there's no relationship there. And I don't think that's anti-fat bigotry to say that there's a relationship there. If I ate as much as I want, when I wanted, and what I wanted, I wouldn't be thin. I would be more like most of the people in my family Mm -hmm. are. And there's nothing wrong with them making a different choice and being happy who they are at the size they are. I support laws criminalizing anti-fat discrimination in, in employment, which is a real problem. But... Uh, it just sometimes I feel like mouth mouth around you have to so do you ignore feel like the, do you the feel totality because like the evidence isn't just those multi-causal things that you cite. Like there's some evidence, scientific evidence emerging that certain vaccinations may contribute to adulthood obesity. Exposure to certain antibiotics may contribute to and adult obesity. And gut flora and all sorts of stuff like right, that. There's so much we don't know. That. Okay. And I, th- I think what I'm wondering is what I would really love is if she had said, these are three things you've said, Dan. Mm-hmm. Why do you say those? Because if it had been like, you know, I heard you say on this day, you know, fat people are ugly or people, you know, fat people need to move around more or I don't want to have sex with a fat person or whatever that is, then we could say like, oh, okay, did you say that? You know, I, I would like to know concretely what it is that we're supposed to address. Because if it's about that, I mean, we could say things like you're attracted to who you're attracted to. It doesn't matter, you know. I think maybe it sounds like what she's saying is that she feels like you do um, fat shaming. And that you basically say... Do you feel I do fat shaming? You know what? Sat, we've sat in the same room for three years doing Savage Love Live. You've been reading me and we've been talking. We've been friends for right. years. Do you... And, and, and I'll own it. If I do, if I do like, 
crossover into fat shaming, when and where and how and have I? I just wish I could have come in here with an example of something because I feel like there have been times that you what I notice about you is just that you that it's really fraught for you. And but that's you know, it's like I'm old and I'm tired and and I'm fat. But I'm less likely to sort of be accusatory towards somebody about their feelings. I'm more likely to look at them and say, where is this coming from? You know, and I think you have a lot of feelings and I feel like your feelings are coming from the fact that you have a lot of anxiety around maintaining your body. And and I do. And you do. And that's – you have made your um, – But that's my shit and I don't project that onto other – People. But I, I, think people somebody, I think people might argue that you do. I don't think somebody who's happy at whatever size that they're at is doing something wrong. They're making different choices and they're happier in different ways. And so as long as your conversation is consistent with that, then that's then that's a good thing, you know? So because there are people but who will always – you would say that because you're short. I am short. But I can't – you know, sometimes people say it's about your gut flora that contributes to being short. <laughs> No, no. Short is a choice. It's about lifestyle choices. It's true. It's about choosing not to be tall. Embracing gravity, you know, against <laughs> against the, uh, you know, advice of my doctor. So, um, you know, I mean, it's really hard because when you basically – and, you know, it's hard when we're living in a world that's talking about Ferguson and discrimination that's resulting in people being, you know, shot in multiple times. Um and so, you know, no one has ever taken a shot at me with a gun because I'm fat. But I have um, not gotten jobs. I have not been considered for things. I have, you know, I have received disdain from, you know, people yelling at me on the street every day of my life to, you know, all sorts of things like that. And it's because I'm fat. It's not because of anything else. And it's not because of anything that I have to offer or don't. Um, and so I think when you're coming from that place, it's very hard to kind of listen with an open heart and hear other people saying things that may not be hateful, but may just be sort of loaded for them and just sort of see like, well, where that person's coming from. But I understand. I also like, I would never expect someone to be attracted to me if they're not attracted to big people. Like I would never say like in a just world, in a world where we were all just like, you know, holding hands and singing a Coke commercial, it's like you're attracted to who you're attracted to. And it, you know, that's just the way it is. Just objectively. Right. And I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, 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 go. But there are health consequences to extreme obesity. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, having a conversation that includes like addressing those health consequences doesn't necessarily have to be fat shaming. It should be interpreted as fat shaming. And on the flip side, people also, it's happened to me where, you know, these conversations come out and somebody bring up the health consequences, the greater risk that gay people are at. And I'm like, absolutely, absolutely. Gay men at much higher risk for sexually transmitted infections. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, behavioral elements there, choice elements mm-hmm. there. And as a gay person navigating a, an arena of increased risk, sexually, you have to mitigate for those risks. You have to be thoughtful, mm-hmm. but you're not in denial. You don't like say it's homophobic to say that gay men are at higher risk of sexually transmitted infections. It's right. actually a fact. Mm-hmm. And I am not shy about addressing right. that fact and confronting that fact. And I don't think it's homophobic to talk about those increased risks. I actually think it's the opposite. It's, homophobic not to talk about them because you're then sending particularly young gay men out into uh, unarmed with the information they need right. to protect themselves uh, or to make smart informed choices. And isn't the same then true for the health consequences of obesity? Right. If we but can't so, talk about obesity and the health consequences without it sort of being interpreted as, you know, shoving people onto pills that will kill them or contributing to attitudes that lead to discrimination or harassment or bigotry, well, because so, yeah, that shit about gay men being at higher risk of STIs undergirds a lot of the bigotry on the religious right. They talk about it all the time. So right. I should not talk about it at all? No, not at all. Uh, I mean, 
yes, you should be talking about it. And that actually, I think, is a nice parallel because when the conversation around gay sex or gay male, you know, penetrative sex, whatever, it's like that's what we're talking about, a risk thing, then it's about risk reduction is the whole is the whole conversation. It's not, okay, and then I stopped having sex, wanting to have sex, being gay. Um, And, you know, I was talking to a good friend of mine, um, somebody who I'm staying with while I'm here in town, and she's a nurse practitioner, and I was drinking a soda. And she said, you know that if you just drink one soda a day, it's going to increase the chances of you getting diabetes by, say, you know, 30% or something like that, you know, based on your age and your weight and things like that. And I said, you know, here's the thing. I didn't know that statistic, but I know I'm not supposed to be drinking soda. But I really like soda, and if I wasn't thinking about it, I'd probably drink about four sodas a day. So the fact that I'm having one soda right now to me feels like, you know, I'm, I am the age I am, and right now I feel like that's an okay choice for me because otherwise I'm going to go freaking nuts on people because I don't drink coffee. You that's know what right. I mean? So, so One dick a day, not four. But here's the thing. The, the thing that I want to live in is I want to live in a world where um, it's not assumed like, hey, you're fat. Really? I'm surprised to hear that. It's like, you know, people yelling fag at the super faggy person on the street. Well, there's a shocker. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, I know I'm fat. I'm a smart person. And, you know, most fat people um, are pretty much apprised of the fact that if they were going to the gym seven times a week and like running or doing whatever it is, you know, unless they have PCOS, unless they have, you know, whatever these – Yes, you could definitely like force yourself to weigh less. You will probably gain that weight back. You unless you struggle and struggle every day. It's just one of those it's a biological fact that you can that it's very very difficult to lose weight. It's very difficult to keep it off. It's you know there are all sorts of reasons it's about, for that. It's about a broad and systemic lifestyle. It is. Like you can't go on and off a diet. It's no. about having a diet that's healthy and sustainable, not And you could say that and it is true that um you know, I can tell you, I think I was saying to you recently that a couple of years ago, I was training um, to do roller derby, um, be a ref, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't do that to lose weight. I didn't do it for anything like that. But I have never had an exercise that I ever liked. I just, it was always like I was the horrible person in gym who was like getting hit in the heads by the ball. You know, it was like bad. And all of a sudden I found this thing was really fun. I was learning a new skill. And I was like, I could do like 40 push-ups. And I lost like 30 pounds in a couple months. It was insane. And I was so strong. I was like running up steps. But it was like it. I didn't do that out of a desire to lose weight. But it was this thing that was kind of integrated into my life. But it was also really, really hard to maintain. It's like, I have kids. Mm-hmm. I have a job. And ultimately, my boss told me I had to quit doing that because because I was supposed to be working at night, because I was working at a school and I needed to be there. And I loved doing this. And it was horrible. It was like really tragic for me. But it also feels like that's pre- that's also typical of even if we find something that we're good at, Sometimes you can devote this time to the gym. Sometimes you can be like, I run every day. And I have friends who do that. And sometimes it's really, really hard to find something, integrate it, keep going. And then you may integrate, you may have something else come right, up. Or it's like you may do, a, you may change your eating of stuff. modern life and sedentary lifestyle. Right. It's not like people are going, I'm choosing a sedentary lifestyle. The, no. the, the game is rigged and a lot of people are forced. And that's the thing. The game is rigged. And so I think that there's a lot of risk reduction going on. I think, And I think a lot of fat people are making – smart choices and the smart choices that they can handle and that they can make and that they can make that match well with who they are and how they want to live. And, you know, they're balancing that stuff. When I choose to drink a soda every day, I'm choosing to 
consume those empty calories. I could definitely choose not to do that. I'm, you know, I, and I own, but here's the thing. I understand that. I know that. I know that that's a choice that I'm making. And I understand that that may be me courting, or I may very well be courting diabetes, but I know that. So I don't need somebody kind of saying like healthy lifestyle, healthy lifestyle. It's like, I, don't, I, know, I know that. I don't have any problem with that. I don't have any problem with it. Does it have any problem with a gay guy who likes to have a, tons of anonymous sex who then insists, you know, that it's no that he's as safe as somebody who's in a successful monogamous exclusive relationship because he uses condoms every time. I'm always like, no, you're not because you're odds, lying. You're lying, and then you're deluding yourself. The odds that you're going to wind up in bed with somebody who, you know, if you sleep with a thousand people a year, statistically someone, speaking, yeah, yeah. you're going to draw the short straw and have the sociopath or asshole in your pants. Not that Lacey Peterson. I thought everybody had an asshole in their pants. Lacey Peterson is <laughs> a sociopath. Well, that's true. Or asshole in her bed. That's true. Um, you know, you have to own the risks you're willing to assume. Right. And my disconnect is always with people who say, who are drinking that soda a day mm-hmm. and courting the higher risk of diabetes, who want you to tell them that they're not. So, you know, that soda a day that for you is one, is one instead of four, with the, but with the higher risk of diabetes, and you recognize that risk and you're willing to incur it, like, absolutely, I have no problem with that, fine. I have a problem with the people who tell me that there's no relationship between drinking bottles of sugar and corn syrup every day and any health outcomes or consequences at all. And see, and I they're was, out there. In addition to no, the people of out there, there who, are. in addition to the people out there in the fat acceptance movement and blogosphere who insist that it's anti-fat discrimination not to be attracted to people who are big. And see that is that to me is ridiculous. And I'm not making that up. So I can't be fat phobic. I have fat, I have a fat friend. It's true. You've, <laughs> it's like you've outsourced your fat. <laughs> That's horrible. You, maybe you pay off. You is, this, pay those, is this awful that I've made you my fat? It's not no. just me going, I'm not racist. I have black. I'm not fat. Some of my best friends, friends are fat. Um, I brandished my fat there you friend. Go. So what do worse? you call that when you when you pay to like the, the credits for when your carbon reduction, like you can pay to have the offset credits? You're like, I'll pay you money and you can drink the soda. Hi, Dan. Uh, I wanted to respond to your caller in uh, episode 408, the guy who had a problem with pulling out his pubes. Um, I wanted to make two comments. Number one, OCD rituals and thoughts can have a sexual component, and if they do, that can be very hard to treat once the association gets made because sex is such a powerful drive. The second thing is that, you know, it's perfect. You may be right. The caller doesn't have a problem now, but these kind of things, if they are OCD, can ramp up slowly, so slowly that the person doesn't realize that it's really become uh, a problem for them until it's, until it has. So you might want to suggest that the caller do something as silly as take a picture, snap a selfie of the affected area once every few days, once a week, twice a week, so that he can see if it's starting to get worse on him. And if it does, then he can seek treatment. And let me say that as an OCD sufferer myself for 25 years, I still remember the day that the meds kicked in. It was as if I had been walking into a stiff wind my entire life that had suddenly disappeared. So getting treatment can be a really, really positive thing. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to the girl who wanted to pursue an emotional connection with another girl in spite of her boyfriend's feelings about it. I've been in that situation and wished that I had explored female connections and broken up with the boys because you're just, you just really don't know when it's going to end and then you feel guilty and just please do it. Please go explore yourself. Um, it is so much more worth it than staying with the guy you've only been with for three months. And I know you think that you love him and maybe you do, and maybe it's such a good relationship, but 
you will have other relationships, no doubt about it, and you will be kicking yourself for not exploring females more or at all if you ever get the chance to just please do it. Please break up with them. Hang out with girls. Hey, wanted to have a comment about episode 408, the woman who did not disclose her kink. Just want to let you know about 80% of the reason that I listen to the Savage Lovecast is because I am a nosy prick. And I want to know all of your dirty laundry. So pretty please, with sugar on top, tell us your fucking kink. And we're going to leave it there. Thank you, Mary Martone. Thank you. It's so great to see you. Whenever you're in town, please come and sit in. I miss you, and thank you so much for letting me talk to your people. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter, at FakeDanSavage. Buy my latest book, American Savage, which is out in paperback now. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. 